Well, let's turn to God's word now, speaking of God's word and the preaching of it. Would you please turn to Psalm 23? Psalm 23. You know, I'm almost embarrassed to preach on Psalm 23 because it's such a well-known psalm, probably the best-known psalm in the Psalter. Uh, but having uh, recently taken a, another look at it in, in sort of uh, a fresh look at it, I am... I am very much looking forward to opening this text uh, together this morning. I wonder if you, you wouldn't mind standing as we read God's word. And I want to invite us to read Psalm 23 together because it is such a, a unifying psalm uh, in the Bible and such a unifying portion of Scripture. So together, let's say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You anoint my of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Good shepherd, today would you remind us of your abundant provision the provision of your very self? And would you enable us, we ask, to rest in you today and through all eternity? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A Christian understanding of common grace indicates that all truth is God's truth which means even unbelievers will sometimes say things that are biblically true. Now, the writer David Foster Wallace uh, was not a Christian, nor was his philosophy particularly biblical, but listen to what he once wrote. He said, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. And the only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason uh, for maybe choosing some sort of spiritual type thing like Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel that you have enough. It's the truth. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start to show, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths and proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick 
is keeping the truth up in front in daily consciousness. Everybody worships something or someone. Bob Dylan said it succinctly in his song, Gotta Serve Somebody, with that refrain, you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. And so who are you going to serve? Who are you going to look to for, for meaning and provision and happiness? Who will be the authority over your life, over your entire being? Or to ask it this way, who will be your shepherd? Now, King David answered that question in the psalm that we're looking at today. He wrote a song. We call it Psalm 23. And we know that David wrote this beloved psalm of comfort and confidence, but we don't know when. Scholars are divided on the topic. What's new? Some say David wrote it while he was on the run from Saul. John Calvin thinks that he wrote it after he was anointed king over Israel. And I've gone with Calvin on a few points. I'm going to go with him on this one as well. I think David wrote this after he was anointed king over all of Israel. Now remember that David had two coronations. The first was as a shepherd boy. He was a nobody. He wasn't even invited to his own coronation. Do you remember this in uh, 1 Samuel 16? All the sons of Jesse paraded before the prophet Samuel, and then they ran out of kids, uh, sons, and they had to go get this no-account no shepherd boy out of the field to anoint him king over Israel. And then finally, years later, he became king. And listen to how the writer records that in 2 Samuel 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, David, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a, cov and king David made a covenant with them there before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. The Lord God, Yahweh, took this no-account shepherd boy and made him king, made him the shepherd of his people. And I suspect that David wrote Psalm 23 as a response, as if to say, oh Lord, Lord, you made me shepherd of your people, but I need a shepherd. And Lord, you are my shepherd. Isn't that what the very first verse says? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so throughout the ages, God's people have found comfort and peace as they recite and pray and sing the words of Psalm 23 as an expression of their commitment to and confidence in the Lord as their good shepherd. So this morning, I want us to take a, a fresh look at this familiar psalm. And I want us to, to, to look at it under this heading. This is the, the big takeaway for today. That the Lord demonstrates that he is my good shepherd. I want us to all be able to say that personally. The Lord demonstrates that he is my good shepherd by providing all that I need to rest in him. 
It's interesting uh, what I do with word partners, training pastors. Uh, one of the principles that we uh, seek to learn is how to summarize a text, to write a main idea like you often see on the screen here on a Sunday morning. And, and rarely do you study a passage of scripture and say and be able to pull out one verse and say, okay, that's the main idea of the whole text. But I think you can do that with Psalm 23. I think that verse one is, is the larger theme of the whole psalm, the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh is my shepherd, and because he is my shepherd, therefore I shall lack nothing. I shall, I shall not want for anything. That's who God is. That's what verse 1 tells us. He's our shepherd. He's the shepherd of us, body and soul, in life and death. He is our provider. He is our caregiver. He is our sustainer. That's who God is. Now, the rest of the psalm works that out. The rest of the psalm says, okay, what does it look like that the Lord is our shepherd? And how should we respond? And so our roadmap going forward as we, as we walk through verses 2 through 6 uh, is going to move in three movements. Verses uh, 2 and 3, uh, we're going to note that our shepherd provides leadership that we would follow him. And then in verse 4, we're going to note that our shepherd provides his presence that we would trust him. And then finally, in verses 5 and 6, we're going to note that our shepherd provides covenant love that we would rest in him. So let's begin with verse, verses 2 and 3. Our shepherd provides leadership that we would follow him. One of the uh, noteworthy characteristics of this psalm is its tone. It is so very personal. It is so intimate. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down. First person. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me. Uh, this, this leadership, this idea that the, the Lord is personal and that he, he leads his people. Uh, the idea of leadership isn't maybe even a full enough word. There's this idea of, a, of authority or, or, or governance over his sheep, of provision, of being the source of all they need. And so this imagery of shepherd and sheep is so appropriate because sheep are absolutely dependent on their shepherd. Uh, many years ago, a friend of mine preached on this text. I love the illustration he gave. He said, a sheep is a box lunch waiting to happen. I mean, sheep have no defenses, right? They, 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 they don't, they don't uh, instill fear in anybody. Um, you know, they're just a blob. If you're a three-year-old, you can draw a pretty good, pretty good illustration of a sheep. You know, a blob with four stick legs. And, and you're never going to improve on a three-year-old's, you know, illustration of a sheep. It's always going to be a blob in four stick legs. And those blobs, they're not very smart. You know, they keep getting themselves into trouble. They wander off a lot like us prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And every sheep needs a shepherd. There are no herds of wild sheep terrorizing your neighborhood right now. All right? It just doesn't happen. 
We all need a shepherd. And look at the provision that the shepherd provides. It is, it is abundant. It is lavish. It is beautiful. It's, it's not just basic. These aren't just basic pastures. They're green pastures. And, and these aren't just any old waters. They're, they're still or restful waters. And these are right paths, well-worn paths, paths that he's gone ahead of us on that he leads us on. And then in verse 3, uh, David takes it up a notch, several notches, in fact, when he says, he restores my soul. Sheep don't have souls. We have souls, right? It's just an illustration. We have souls. And this idea of restore, it has to do with, with transformation. It's, it's a word that's even sometimes used for repentance, restoration, transformation, Repentance, David's greatest need, our greatest need. And just as a shepherd leads down right paths, the good shepherd leads in paths of righteousness. You see, that's what we were meant for. We were meant to, to live in paths of righteousness. It's why we exist. It was God's creation intent from the beginning that we would do this for his name, for his glory, living out his righteous character. It's what we were created for, to live in covenant relationship with our creator, the shepherd, the shepherd of our souls. But by nature, we don't want a shepherd we want to be masters of our own fate, choosing our own way. Think about all the messages we hear, <laughs> all the advertising we hear. You do you. You make your own way. Chart your own course. But those voices can't change the fact that we are all sheep. And as Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his or her own way. We all need a good shepherd to bring us back to the fold of God. One who could restore our souls by walking that path of righteousness and laying down his life for wandering, rebellious sheep. Listen to these familiar words from Jesus in John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was the hired hand, is not the shepherd, and he's not owned the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, he leaves and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life to take it up again. I lay it down of my own accord. No one takes it from me. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Do you have a shepherd? Is he the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep? Jesus Christ. Five times 
in that passage. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Here's what defines me as the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Listen to the rest of that Isaiah 53 text. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you know this good shepherd? Is he your good shepherd? The Lord Jesus, on that mercy tree, laid down his life for the sheep, for wandering, straying, rebellious, sinful people like us. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your good shepherd, then he invites you, he calls you, to be his own, to turn from your sin and rebellion, to trust in him, looking to him for forgiveness, looking that he was, he was crushed and he was bruised and he was smitten for you. And if you trust in him, you can have your sins forgiven and you can know eternal life with your good shepherd today. And if you have that shepherd, if Jesus is your good shepherd What is preventing you from following him in paths of righteousness? Let our time together this morning in Psalm 23 be a a refreshing drink from the still waters of God's word that restores your soul. Our shepherd provides leadership. He provides care for our souls that we would follow him. Now, following the good shepherd down paths of, of righteousness is good, but it is not always easy, which brings us to verse four. And and this thought, that our shepherd provides his presence that we would trust him. Our shepherd provides his presence that we would trust him. Our path, our walk in this fallen world includes walking through valleys, dark valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23 says in verse 4. I once heard somebody teach on this text and they said, oh, see what David's doing here? He says, it's a shadow of death. It's just a shadow. A shadow's not a real thing, so we shouldn't be afraid. That's actually the opposite of the image and the poetry that's being used here. Uh, This word, valley of shadow of death, it, it has to do with deep darkness, black gloom, Uh, Job says it 10 different times, uh, talking about his predicament. You think about that, uh, the the, the image of a valley. Now, I drove along the river through the beautiful, lush, green valley to get here from Elgin this morning. Okay, this is not that kind of valley. (laughs) You have to think how the the, uh, topography is in the Middle East. This is a a crag. Uh, This is a ravine that is narrow. It's dark. It gets very little sunlight. You don't know what's lurking in the darkness. And if you think about that image, shadow of death, every movie that you've seen, (laughs) scary movie, when there's a shadow of something before you see it, you know something is looming. And what's looming here is death, the shadow of death on the verge of that. 
This valley is dark, it's low, it feels like death. Isn't that exactly how life often feels for each of us? If you're not there then, now, there now <laughs> I'm sure you have been there, and we all will be. But don't you love how realistic the Bible is? Even though I walk, yea, though I walk, yes, I'm going to walk. This is a reality through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet I will fear no evil. It, I, I love how realistic the Bible is. I'm grateful for the realism of the Bible. I'm also grateful for a four-letter word. Not maybe the four-letter word you're thinking of. You, might, you and I might say when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, but there's a four-letter word that's in this verse. It is the word with. It might be the most weighty word in this whole text. For you are with me. You, notice how the pronoun changed. It got really personal here. Second person, not he is with me. You are with me in the valley. You see, the good shepherd is no longer out in front leading the sheep who is struggling. He's right next to him or her. Remember that Jesus was not only called the good shepherd, he was also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The shepherd <laughs> took on the sheep, the flesh of the sheep, to be with us, to walk in our shoes. Moms, you ever, if you have more than one child, ever ask which of your children you love the most? I know as parents, we're not supposed to love any of our children more than any of the others, but I have to confess, I have five kids, and there's one that I love more than the others. Do you want to know who it is? It's the one who's struggling. At any given moment, my heart goes out to the one who's struggling. This is why Jennifer cried in the last service. If we sinful, limited parents feel that way, how does our good shepherd feel about us when we go through the valley? You better believe his heart goes out. So, therefore, we will have no fears. Put on a t-shirt, no fear. Is that what it says? No Therefore, we will fear no evil. We will fear no evil. Nothing evil can happen to us because we are assured that our good shepherd is protecting us. It's, it reminds me of Paul in Romans chapter 8 when he lists all the things that maybe could separate us from the love of God, uh, life, death, famine, tribulation, whatever. No, none of it can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I want to add our good shepherd our good shepherd is actively protecting us from evil. He's actively doing it, it says, with, his, with the rod and the, uh, the staff. The rod, the idea of a club that, that sort of wards off uh, attackers, and the staff that's sort of keeping the sheep in line. 
And we really like the idea of the one. We like the idea of Jesus as our defender, as our superhero, you know, beating down the, the bad guys with the club. We find that really comforting. But we're not as comfortable receiving the, 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 the love tap from the shepherd's staff when he needs to keep us in line and discipline us. It's like the writer to the Hebrews said uh, in chapter 12, all discipline seems painful at the time. That's certainly an understatement. <laughs> it always seems painful at the time, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And the shepherd's staff is not meant to, uh, it's meant, sorry, it's meant to comfort us. It's not meant to make us comfortable. And I find that to be a problem because I love comfort. I love it a lot. And when I'm going through the valley, I want out, and I want out now. But that's not what my good shepherd promises. He promises to be with me. So where's the discomfort in your life right now? Rather than seeking comfort or escape from the dark valley, what might the good shepherd do in you and perhaps through you if you lean into him, embracing how this season is an instrument in his hands to shape you for his glory? See, our good shepherd provides his presence that we would trust him in the valley of the shadow of death. And then finally, our good shepherd provides covenant love that we would rest in him. Notice that as we go to verses 5 and 6, the imagery changes from, from sheep and shepherd to table and cup and house. It goes from pastoral to domestic. It goes from outside to inside. And the picture here is one of, of super abundant provision uh, of table fellowship, of dining together. It's a, it's a prepared table or a carefully arranged feast table just for us. And it's in the presence of my enemies. What's that all about? Well, this is a victory banquet. They watch. We feast with our good shepherd. It says he anoints our head with oil. This, this image of, of honor and care. You remember how Jesus chastised the Pharisee who didn't honor him by anointing him. And then my favorite image here is the one, my cup overflows. Just this image of, of superabundance, of, of, of lavish abundance. It, it reminds me of the day, some of you will remember this day, way back in the day, when you went to McDonald's or somewhere and you ordered a Coke and you were sort of at the mercy of how much Coke and ice they put in your cup. And then came that glorious day when the soda fountain went from this side of the counter to our side of the counter. And they gave you the cup. And you could fill it up and you could overflow it and you could dump it out and you could put some more in. Anything you wanted, as much as you wanted. Just, just the, the joy of that picture, the scene of superabundance, of generosity, of now being without need. We come full circle. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then you have this overflow of the cup at the end. It overflows. And our good shepherd doesn't just want us to survive the shadow of death. He wants us to thrive, even in the shadow of death. 
The Heidelberg Catechism reflects this in its very first question and answer. The primary question and answer says, what is your only or ultimate comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior. I might even say my good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And it goes on to say, he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. But wait, there's more. Verse 6, this affirmation, surely, surely goodness and mercy will not just follow me, but pursue me, chase after me. And these are two huge words in the Old Testament. The, 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 the word for goodness or good, think about how from the beginning God said that everything was good and that that was his goal for everything, that it would be good. And then this word that is translated mercy here, uh, but it's translated loving kindness elsewhere, uh, or covenant love, God's chesed, his, 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 his self-giving, committed, gracious love for his people, his covenant love. And we hear the refrain throughout the Psalms. In fact, every other line in Psalm uh, 136, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And finally, the exclamation point at the end of the song, the greatest provision that the supreme blessing of our good shepherd is that we would dwell with him forever. You know, we sing in the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And we, we need to praise that for all blessings flow from him. It's true. But the supreme blessing is not the gifts, but the giver himself. It is to dwell with him, unending in his presence. This is both challenging and convicting because we have a lot of stuff. And we like our stuff. I like my stuff. And I have to admit that after studying this psalm afresh, I am convinced that the biggest roadblock in my relationship with my good shepherd is a love of comfort and a love of stuff. And this psalm gets right up in my face and it says, find comfort in the good shepherd himself when you're uncomfortable. And it tells me to look past the gifts to the giver himself. How un-American. How un-Fox Valley. But could it be that our good shepherd is so good that he would break us of a love of comfort and love of stuff, these idols that we have, so that we would have a greater capacity to enjoy his presence throughout all eternity? Could our shepherd be that good? So good that he would live to expand our capacity to glorify and enjoy him forever? Friends, he's so good, he died for that. Listen to the picture of this unending joy in his presence. This is from Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he sits on the throne and will shelter them with his presence. 
They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a picture. The good shepherd who became the lamb of God is still our shepherd. He's leading us to drink the living waters. And the living waters are himself. That's why the imagery changes here. Because we're not actually sheep. We're image bearers of our creator king who designed us to live in covenant love with him and to rest in him forever. Our age is not a restful one. Is it, moms? <laughs> All of us know how unrestful our age is. I think it has a lot to do with what Paul Tripp calls identity amnesia. Instead of finding our identity vertically, we look to find it horizontally in relationships, in other people, in experiences, in presenting ourselves in social media. And the more we do that, the more we discover just how frail and limited we are. Friends, none of us have the capacity to bear the weight of our own frailty, to bear the weight of our own sheepness. We all need a shepherd. And I have such good news for you. We have a good shepherd. His name is Jesus. And I want to invite you now to listen to what he is saying to you. Would you, would you just bow your head right now and close your eyes for a moment and just, just listen to this? This is your good shepherd speaking to you. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, the Lord Jesus demonstrates that he is our good shepherd by abundantly providing all that we need to rest in him. Amen. Let's pray together. Good shepherd, thank you for being our shepherd, for lavishly providing all that we need. Thank you, most of all, for laying down your life for your sheep. Please forgive us for straying, for, for following, for not following you down paths of righteousness, for not trusting you in the dark valleys of our lives, for loving the gifts more than the givers so many times. Would you again restore our souls? And good shepherd, would you show us your goodness and covenant faithfulness all of our days on earth? And would you receive us into your eternal kingdom 
to rest in your presence forever. Amen.